Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. I'm glad you are here for part of this series where we talk to SLP who have published a book, whether it's self-publishing or more the traditional route, their passions are written in words. So welcome to this episode. Enjoy. Also, when you're done or while you're just listening to the episode, go find us at freshslp.com. Subscribe to us on YouTube. We are definitely working on building a great podcast and would welcome your support. Well, welcome, Lauren Herman. We are excited to talk to you today. And your book is at the top of the SLP charts when I searched for it. And I went straight away to Amazon and ordered my coffee. So exciting. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Tell us, um, first, tell us who you are. Yeah. Uh, So I am a medically based speech language pathologist, Um, grew up, studied, graduated all in Virginia. Um, and currently I'm living in Pennsylvania. My husband is a radiologist, Mm -hmm. uh, so we get to have a lot of fun conversations. He's very aware of our roles when it comes to dysphagia. I make sure of that. (laughs) Have a lot of fun with him. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of shifting a little bit more into the world of, uh, writing and publishing. And we'll talk later too, just kind of about how that's even transitioning to, um, marketing a bit for healthcare professionals. Excellent. I too am moving into that realm. Yeah. So let's see, my dad was a radiologist. So you and I have something in common there. I grew up at his feet doing in the radiology realm. And so it's a great place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Very quiet. Something very soothing about that. Just dark, quiet space. Mm -hmm. My second space, my second home in the hospital is the radiology department. So I get invited to their potlucks and all their parties and stuff like that. So great. Tell us why you became, now this is a question I ask everybody because every guest, because I think that when so many of the students that I work with, they have these wonderful dreams on why they became a speech pathologist and they move into their careers and they sometimes lose some of that reason why their big, why they do what they do. Share with us, please, why you became a speech pathologist, specifically a medical speech pathologist. Yes. And I love that you asked that question on your podcast. This is, I guess I think it's so important and everyone's story is so different. Um, And actually in my book, I, because I, I find it just like you, I find it so important. That's actually after the intro, that's the first chapter of my book too, about how I discovered speech therapy and why I became a speech pathologist and how this happened. I was in, so 17 years old in high school, you know, I knew it was time to start considering a career path or, you know, the, the traditional path of going to college. And I had no clue what I wanted to do. I was actually debating going into accounting, uh, just because I was good with numbers, but I probably would have hated that, but I was working, uh, my summer job, or actually it wasn't just my summer job. It was my job was at uh, Coldstone Creamery and ice cream franchise. And mm. we, yep. So great job. I always joke around. That was my first career. I was there for seven years mm. and we hired on a new, uh, a new new employee. She was a college student at our local university. And, um, I was just kind of asking her about her life as I was training her, what she doing, what she's studying. And she told me, Oh, I'm, I'm actually starting to become a speech language pathologist. I'm majoring in communication sciences and disorders. And I was like, Oh, wow. Uh, so I automatically assumed, uh, you know, that she wanted to work with children and just help kids in the school system. Cause I, I, 
thought at that time that speech therapists only worked in the schools or only work mm-hmm. with children, which I'm finding and why I wrote this book, many people believe that. And so she was the first one to tell me, oh, actually, no, I'm not quite sure. Um, you can work with adults. You can work with people across the entire lifespan. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's cool. I had no idea. And she was kind enough to invite me to sit in on her neuroanatomy class um, as a high school student. Yeah. So she's like, yeah, if you really, I mean, you really want to dive into the world of speech pathology, like this is the class you should sit in on really, because this is going to be very eye-opening for you. So maybe a week later, um, I, I joined her on campus and I, she introduced me to the professor of the neuroanatomy course. And um, I sat in the back of the auditorium with my coworker. And um, as the professor was kind of giving her lecture, she was going over just aphasia and different types of aphasia. Mm -hmm. And so this was the first time I'd ever heard of the word aphasia. And just learning about that really opened my mind um, into just where our health can go wrong, but how it can impact something that is so important and so many of us take for granted, Mm -hmm. communication. And so as she was going over the different types of screeners that you can include in your assessment, she started talking about generative naming tasks. Um, And so she wanted student volunteers. No one was raising their hand to come in front of the class to do a gender naming (laughs) task, of course. So what she did was the professor pointed at me and had me come up as the first uh, subject, basically, to do a minute-long generative naming task. And out of all of these college students, so I was terrified. I was (laughs) just so nervous. And I went up there and in the, in the chapter, in the book, I go into detail kind of about what the, the topic was and what she ended up doing. Cause after I did my minute long generative naming task, she then called up, there was an older student who looked like maybe she was in her forties. So she called her up to come to the front of the class and had her do a generative naming task. And she was just going to compare, um, how many words we each came up with and discuss like, oh, it's, it's actually quite common, uh, for, uh, younger people at my age, 17 year olds to be able to come up, generate more words than someone who might be in their forties and fifties, also just with a natural aging process, but then with aphasia, what we might see and how that differs. But I was so nervous. I came up with fewer words than the other student. (laughs) And so she talked about how nerves can affect your verbal fluency and just that experience kind of being put on the spot, learning about just the the normal range as we age and then aphasia, different types of aphasia, that just sparked my curiosity. That domino was knocked down. And then I was just kind of hurtling towards the path of speech pathology after that. I was just so fast. I was hooked. I was completely hooked after that experience. Well, I teach that class in, in at, at the campus. And so I'm thinking, gee, I, I'm starting for the first time uh, fall semester I'm teaching that class I'm just might invite some students like you 17 year olds or 18 ask the yeah. students to invite friends of theirs and see who else we can bring to this wonderful career because you clearly bring passion and dedication and spark to to what we do so many of the stories in this book now I know you have a number of guest writers mm-hmm. but the whole flow of your book is just from an angle of look at all the wonderful things we do as a speech language pathologist and even the title, but my speech is fine. And 
I don't know how many times I have heard that I'm here to assess your, you know, I'm a speech therapist, but my speech is fine. Why are you, I don't need to see you. And right outside of the door, uh, right inside the door, you, you know, you're just like, um, um, um. So the whole approach of your book is just about passion and what we do, which is super, super exciting. Uh, Thanks thank for sharing that story with us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it is, I, 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 I've, I've experienced burnout and I've spoken to other mm-hmm. speech pathologists who have gone through burnout. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned is that I tend to feel more burnt out when I'm putting in the work and it feels like that there's no meaning behind it or that I'm not contributing anything to the greater cause that it's not being recognized. Basically mm-hmm. um, it feels meaningless. And so that's another reason why I wrote this book, because I think we can tend to forget the, the meaning of our work and how we impact students, clients, patients, because we might not see them, you know, later down the road when they're just really flourishing and all because of starting with speech pathology with your services. So I think it's just important to remind each other really of how wonderful, important, and relevant our work is across the entire lifespan. Exactly, exactly. Later on, I have a story that I want to add to my own that, that, dovetails nicely with your book. It has to do with Maker's Mark Manhattans. And my kids all know why I drink a Maker's Mark Manhattan on on Valentine's Day. But tell us more about your book. How did you get started with it? Yes. So I am trying to think. So I, I had the first idea to write the book maybe four years ago, because Prior to that, I would share just kind of either short, little, inspirational, very you know HIPAA compliant uh, stories on my Facebook. Yeah. If there's some memorable moments at the nursing home um, that you know just really struck a chord with me, or something really exciting, um, I would share it on social media or I'd share it with my friends. And people always tell me like, "Oh my gosh, you have to write a book about this or a blog or or something." And I was always hesitant because of HIPAA, right? I'm like, yeah. "Oh, I." Don't I don't think that's possible, but you see so many other books out there. One of my favorite authors is Atul Gawande, and you know, and he writes all about all of these wonderful cases, Oliver Sacks, um, yes. his books, right, about all of yes. these cases. And I know so many speech therapy students. We all had to read Oliver Sacks and learn about the his man who just took his wife for a hat. Yes, yes, exactly. I have that on my bookshelf in my office. Oh. You know? oh, oh. You can oh, that would be fun sometime to share bookshelves. Oh my yes. god, oh, just yeah. give me goosebumps on them. That would be so cool. It would. Well, do that? Would you share with us a picture of what's on your bookshelf, and then we'll collect other ones? Yeah. So yeah, I'm at my friend's house now, so I'm not in my office. But when I once I get back home, yeah, I, that would be I will. I'll send you a little a little picture of, of the books that I have stacked in mine. Make sure your book is in there. Yes. <laughs> That's always the coolest part. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's my Yep. <laughs> and I've written chapters and books. Mine will be in there as well. Yeah. I'm excited for yours. Oh my gosh. I, and that's, I'm excited to hear about more SLPs mm-hmm. writing books. And so that, you know, having other people tell me you really need to write about this. You need to just share because this is so, it's either funny or inspirational or heartbreaking, but also a lot of my friends and family members who didn't really understand what speech pathologists did, they would always tell me, like, I really, I had no clue that you all did that kind of thing in, in speech therapy. So it's really fascinating to hear these little anecdotes that I would post. Mm-hmm. So I finally, oh, I don't know if there was a particular moment. I remember the very first time I sat down with my computer to just start typing this book out um, when we were in California. So this, this was like two and a half, three years ago. 
I was sitting down in my kitchen and I just was staring at my laptop. And I don't know if it was something that happened at work where it was just all day encountering patients who, you know, kept saying like speech therapist, but my speech is fine. You know, why are you here? And then also on the flip side, encountering doctors and nurses um, Mm -hmm. saying like, oh, their swallow is fine. You know, we won't need you. I'm like, well, but their cognition, their language, their communication, their voice, there's so many other aspects to our field your directions yeah yeah and so at that point I had worked I think it was like my seventh job across five different states and I had just noticed I'm like this is a trend that is happening no matter where I work across the country no matter what setting it is it can't just be me it has to be many other speech pathologists that get this frustration of others not understanding our scope and also um you know my fear was that we weren't getting consulted for patients that would really benefit from our services just because of a lack of understanding and awareness. So that's kind of, by the time I had that seventh job and was experiencing the same stuff, that's when I was like, okay, I want to write a book. I, I want to get this into the hands of, of the general public, of future speech pathologists, of physicians, nurses, other medical teammates. Like I just want to open the world to what it is that we do beyond uh, speech sounds, quote unquote, correction, you know, beyond that. So I have your book in my hand. And when I read a book, I start just dog tagging the corners. And then I sit with a colored pen because I want to go back and capture things. And so your book is filled with the dog corners. And then I got a bunch of tabs across the top. I love chapter seven, where there's, uh, you know, it's a hole in her neck. I love that story. Yeah, I love, um, let me turn back here with Maggie Doniger. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. So Maggie, Maggie is the, uh, so she wrote a separate story after the wedding speech. So hers is a separate, um, contributor story. And then the wedding speech is my chapter before her section. Oh, okay. Excellent. Um, there's lots, I was just going to say the wedding, that chapter right there, she writes about her, um, the, the client she was working with, the patient she was working with, but there's so much research at the beginning of that chapter. Oh, so you bet the, for my chapter, the wedding yes. speech, that one that I wrote. Yeah. So I, I added the research, um, at the beginning of that chapter. Yeah. So cause Love I love the depth. Yes. Yeah. Because I, um, I, I, I was writing this again. I wanted it to be understood by the yep. general public. So, um, when I wrote that chapter, the wedding speech, and when I wrote a bunch of other chapters, I tried to incorporate a mm-hmm. lot of data and research, but of course I didn't want it to be a textbook so yeah. that it was just data and research. So I tried to tie it into the story and try to make it relate to each other so that it was easy to read and easy to follow. And, that depth gives the following stories context, mm-hmm. which is yeah. huge. We've got oh, um, Bobby B and the SLP. Um, I love Joshua Allison Burbank. Oh yeah. His, his contri- contribution. Yeah. That was really wonderful. Mm-hmm. I was excited to have him be a contributor. The SLP who participated in her own brain surgery. I mean, this is not a boring book here. This reminds me of, I don't know, just walking into a candy store and you're just like, oh, look at all these bright colors. What am I going to have? And that's the way your book is. It's just like, oh my gosh, look at all these things I can read about. 
Yeah, thank you so much. That's exactly what I was going for is I want it for speech pathologists, especially I wanted it to feel like that, like a candy shop, basically, because, you know, I know so many of us can relate that that one. That's what I wanted was for this book, no matter what age group you work with, I wanted, you know, any type of speech pathologist to be able to relate on some level to the book. And so that makes me really excited to hear you say that as well. So that was, that was the goal is it's kind of like a little candy shop for speech pathologists to relate to, and then hopefully for non SLPs, um, to just be eye opening basically, and just be really kind of surprising. Like, oh, wow. I had no clue SLPs did that. I, I want to read more. Mm-hmm. Well, goal, goal achieved. Goal achieved. <laughs> One other important part of this book is you and I touched on it earlier. You know, uh, you mentioned burnout Yes, and I have had burnout, um, many, speech paths who come to me for coaching have burnout and we get burnout like you said because we don't feel validated we just don't feel like we're making a difference and we're these hamsters on these wheels and and I try to avoid saying the word but and every day that I pull in a big big day um I try to find one or two moments in that day where I'm like yes this is why I'm a speech pathologist this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yes. My most recent one was um, video fluoroscopy suite and um, autism person and the challenges with the trials because of the sensory issues when we made our way through it. And the, you know, the family was just like, Oh, you know, thank you. And it's like, this is why we do what we do. Yes. Yeah. And being able filled with it. Yeah, being able, I think that's such an important example that you shared too, um, with with an autistic individual and being able to understand the different um, the different ways other people might think and mm-hmm. the different needs or perceptions, whether it's sensory or verbal or auditory, and working with that person, mm-hmm. you know, instead of trying to force that person into a very specific box and it has to be done this way. And I think SLPs can really be, I mean, just a huge um, example and, and guide um, to not just other healthcare professionals, but family members, caregivers, friends, acquaintances on how to be more flexible communicators with others who will have different processes of understanding how things work or why we're doing things or what to do instead of trying to put everyone in a box. So I think that your example so beautifully paints that picture. I mean, that's a, you know, like a medical procedure, barium's disgusting. You're in a tight spot. You don't know what's going on. You have radiation and you see your throat, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So being able to work with, with someone else like that, that's just wonderful. I love that. What was your favorite part about writing the book? And thank you, by the way. Yeah. Um, my favorite part, um, trying to think. So I, it was really, diving back into the stories that had occurred years in the past and kind of reliving those moments and then really being able to tell about it in story format. Cause I may have given um, like anecdotes here and there. So for example, in the book uh, there's a three chapter spread about one woman whom I call Kay. Um, and so there are three chapters dedicated to her and she is someone I, I got permission from her and her, um, power of attorney, um, to write about her because hers was such a unique and complex story that there's really no way that I could 
change it without actually changing the story. And so I got permission from the two of them and, you know, shared the story with them to get their approval and all of that. And it was just wonderful to kind of relive how I first met Kay, um, our time together and how she really changed me as a clinician, because that was my clinical fellowship year too. So she was, I mean, we met when I was fresh out of grad school, pretty much. And I feel like your fears are heightened. Your self doubts can really take over. And so working with her, um, really grew me as a clinician. And so it, it was wonderful to be able to sit down and just reflect on that years after, um, you know, after working at multiple hospitals now across multiple states, and then being able to just sit and take the time to reflect back on my clinical fellowship year and kind of relive all these moments where I was nervous or terrified or angry, and then recognized the lessons that I was gaining from those moments early on, and then actually just reflecting on that and being more appreciative of that, and then seeing it all written on paper. That was really cool to kind of then just read. That those stories kind of read my experiences and her experiences back to me. And it just kind of put me in a really, a really good headspace to be able to reflect like that. I think that's really healthy to do is to re- reflect on your past experiences in a positive way. Do you have a favorite chapter? Favorite chapter. Um, let me think, you know, it's so funny because I've, I've been asked this before and I always have to stop and think because there are just so many experiences and chapters that I really do enjoy. I think I really enjoy the, uh, there's a chapter where I I share um, several experiences with individuals with dementia. And so, um, you know, there's one, the one couple I would always refer to as the notebook couple uh, with the wife who had developed um, a dementia and her husband would come to the nursing home every single day. So I share a story about her, but then I transition into another story about a gentleman who had frontotemporal dementia. He was a war veteran. And so working with him and, um, he thought I was poisoning his tea. And so there's a story in there about what he does because he doesn't trust me, um, with his tea. Uh, and, then it moved on to another story with some dementia. So kind of these three different experiences with working with individuals with dementia. Um, I think that might be my favorite chapter just because they were the experiences that were the most heartwarming, inspirational and shocking for me as a speech pathologist too. like things that happened that I never would have expected and was not prepared for. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so that chapter kind of has an inspirational section and a shocking se- section, uh, which is why I think I really like that chapter. And then just the lessons um, about our role in the world of dementia, uh, because I know when I first started out as a clinical fellow, I didn't fully understand yet my role with dementia. I didn't think we had a whole lot we could do as speech pathologists. And then I really learned like, oh my gosh, no, there, we have very important roles in the world of dementia. And I think, you know, we need to be able to help share that with other healthcare professionals and family members. So that chapter is really just important to me just because of um, the, the shock value and the inspirational value, as well as just the educational value in that chapter um, when, the, when it comes to our work with dementia. I love these stories. <laughs> I had a dementia patient. I used to work in a unit in, in the older way of thinking was, well, we can't do anything. This is a progressive disease, mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. But no matter how demented you get, how whatever path your life takes, the ability to communicate to the very end, 
the ability to safely swallow and minimize suffering to the very end is so important. And we had a gentleman who he would wake up every morning, <clears throat> like 5 a.m., and would just start entering people's rooms. And staff got so upset. Yes. They called me in and I sat and asked with them. And, and, you know, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm just checking. I make sure everybody's all right. Well, he was a physician and he was doing his rounds in the morning. Oh, oh. And there was another one who he would get up, eat breakfast, and then go lay on the floor underneath his bed, right? Well, he was an auto mechanic and he was climbing under the Oh, car. my gosh. You yeah. Know what I mean? yeah. And so, I mean, these stories still give me goosebumps. When we as speech pathologists stop, take the time and put the patient as the center of care um, and never lose the importance of who we're doing, what we're doing for, mm-hmm. then that really gets our vibrating, our tuning fork vibrating at the frequency that it needs to be. I know that's a weird comment. Okay. And, um, but that's when we really, really shine. And that's, I love your stories because you just shine in these stories. Oh, thank you. And, and your stories too, what you just said, like, these are the types of stories that I just want us to be able to express more of because yeah. it, it shines a light on, look at the person, not this yeah. is someone with dementia. Like, oh no, this is Joe. He's a retired physician and prior to that, a mechanic. And so being able to understand their lived experiences. And that's, yeah, that's interesting actually, because in, uh, I think, the intro to my book, I do talk about, I have a quick line about how with our roles of dementia. And I think I mentioned a line about like, um, uh, someone with dementia wandering into different people's rooms. Cause we had someone with dementia who did that too. Um, you know, we'd wander into people's rooms. Unfortunately, he was also taking jewelry. And so we oh, had, to- <laughs> so we had to work okay. that. yeah, we had to, we had to work with that. Um, but just how our roles can be with redirecting, um, and, and trying to help mitigate that, but by also being a part of their worlds and understanding their world and who they are. So stories like that mm-hmm. in my book and what you had just shared mm-hmm. are so important. I was at a, a dinner party one time and, and somebody knew what I did and they said, well, my grandmother has dementia and she just gets so upset because, you know, she lives with us and every day at dinner time she's looking for grandpa and we have to tell her that he died and we have to tell her this and she cries for two hours and yada, yada. And I'm like, why do you, why does she, why do you need to tell her that every time? Yeah, exactly. Say, Grandpa's out in the field. He'll be in a little bit. Yeah. And, um, I, the next time I saw this woman, she's my, my word. She said, that's made all the difference in the world. She said, we now enter into her world. Yes. Her and grandpa's world. I mean, yes. Like, yes. And I just gave me goosebumps. Yeah. I just, it's so no. One of the writing projects books I'm working on is, uh, the patient is the guest of honor SLP stories uh-huh. where it's remembering that. Yeah. Just that. And that's yes. how we become effective, whatever setting we're in. Yep. Yeah. I'm excited for more stories like this to start coming out. I've, I've had, I've had several other SLPs actually reach out to me and say, Oh my gosh, I've been working on a book similar to that showing just my experiences in this like one setting that I've been in or, or I've always wanted to write a book sharing stories of speech pathology, but I just don't know how to get started. So I'm really hoping we see more and more books that come mm-hmm. out. Tell us how to get started. Yeah. Uh, well, first things first is just write. <laughs> Just sit down and just write. Um, I mean, I I tried to I tried to stick to a schedule where it was like, okay, my goal is I'm going to write 
um, you know, in the morning every day for 20 minutes of my coffee. But then of course that was just way too big of a goal not realistic for me because I would skip days. So then I would just have kind of like a chapter goal, like, okay, I'm going to try to just finish one chapter a week. That's my goal. I'll try to stick to it. Um, and after I just had my, my manuscript ready, which it took me, I mean, it took me, I think at least two years to at least have my rough draft of the manuscripts ready. So just to have all the words out there on paper, then just being able to find, um, a content editor, uh, which is different from a copy editor. So I didn't know, I didn't even know that there'd be different types of editors. It makes sense, but finding the content editor who, um, will help you basically organize the flow of your book, make sure things make sense. Um, you know, do you go off on tangents? Do you lose the reader? Are there holes in your story where things get confusing? So having the content editor, um, will really help you tighten your story. I, there are chapters that I had written that never made it to my book too. And so just being okay with the idea that you might spend all this time writing certain chapters and ultimately it might be best that they just don't make it to your book. Mm -hmm. Um, if it doesn't fit the theme or the flow of your overall goal, that's that's where sequels come in. Yes. Yeah. That's where sequels come in. Exactly. And so once you, you might do two, three rounds with a content editor. Um, so, you know, she'll send you the work back, you do your editing and whatever, send it back to her. So you do this back and forth or him or them. Um, and then, um, after that, then working towards getting a copy editor. So this is all the typos, the grammatical, um, errors, stuff like that. So cleaning that up. And what I learned about this, this is something I wish someone had told me when I was going through this process is, I mean, you might have three, like yourself, I had a copy editor and then she had an intern. So she would do a pass with reading and editing and had, um, like Grammarly and other editing tools too online. And then the editor or the intern would do that. And then I would get it. And then I would still catch some errors. So we would do this back and forth. And then when I published it, I still caught errors. Mm -hmm. And so learning that that's actually expected from self-publishers, um, is, is no matter how many times you go through editing, you will likely still find errors Mm -hmm. when you get the final product, but you can still go back and edit it with self-publishing, which brings me to the next point. So once you have editing done content and copy editing, um, also, I guess I should have started with this. Honestly, the first thing is deciding, do you want to go the traditional publishing route or the Mm -hmm. self-publishing routes? Um, and I originally thought that if I tried to get traditional publishing, so trying to, you know, pitch it to some publishing agency and have them, they'll give you, uh, money as an advance, and then they will find the editors for you. They do all of the editing, the cover design, all of that for you. Um, however, I did learn you, you might get 10% of royalties at that point afterwards, and then they have full control of things like cover design, layout, and even editing stuff and title. And I didn't want to give up that, that control to someone who's not a speech pathologist and doesn't really understand what I'm trying to, to tap into. So that's why I chose self-publishing. And so my process is going to be from the self-publisher's aspects when I talk about kind of how I went about um, writing the book. So after I did the content editing and then the copy editing, my copy editor also did the formatting of the book. So formatting the chapters, doing the fonts, um, you'll notice in each chapter, there's like a little icon, like a little drawing or icon or picture that's with each chapter. So, 
um, she had that idea to do that. And I got to pick out the different images that I felt would best depict the chapter um, with that. So she did that. Um, she also helps me with just, um, the in-text citation with all the research that I put into my chapters. So making sure the, the references actually matched up with a reference list. Um, so having someone to really help you clean up your book and format it. And then finally, um, getting a cover design. And I did that through 99designs.com where you can basically put out a pitch of what is your book about? What is your book title? What do you envision for your book? Um, so writing all this stuff and then basically these designers will come and then they will, um, if they want to enter into, it's like a contest, you have a week and then different designers will send you their designs and then you get to pick the winner at the end of the week and then they get paid a certain amount of money. Mm-hmm. And so it depends on what tier. So if you do a little bit more expensive, you'll get more of the higher level designers that will submit their cover designs. And I had some excellent submissions. It was really neat seeing um, the different covers and the cover that I chose with the Rubik's cube, that was not an idea I had. The designer that submitted that, she came up with that completely on her own, just based on my description and talking about all the different ways SLPs can be involved in your care. And so when she submitted that, it was just such an original design that I did not have in my head. Um, immediately I was like, okay, this, you, we're going to work together. This is brilliant. I love what she did. That sites like that, um, you said 99 designs. Yes. Um, you can also use it for logos and any type of, if you're an uh, ent- entrepreneur. Yes. Trademarked. I mean, all sorts of things, trademark, um, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So I also use someone from 99 designs actually, um, and this is a person who worked with my husband, so I already knew him, but he also does 99 designs. He, so he came up with my logo for, I started my own publishing LLC mm-hmm. because to be a self-publisher, you have to have a publishing company. So I started my own publishing LLC. And so he did the little logo for that. Um, it was, it was fun. It tapped into a more creative part of me that I felt like I really never get to, to dive into. And so it was just a very fun process once the manuscript was written, Um, and I will say too, for anyone who is looking to write their own book, I am definitely, and I know many SLPs in our field are like this too, where constantly learn, right? The learning never stops no matter what. And I feel like that as a writer too, that's how I felt was, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying my writing. I've always been strong in writing, but I know I have a whole lot more to learn about how to be a decent writer. So I also did things like I, I listened to Stephen King's book on writing. I listened to that when I had all these long drives, I would go on walks and just listen to it, take notes. And then I also did um, some online masterclasses from that masterclass website where celebrities will offer these masterclasses on different topics. So I, I watched two masterclass videos from one was from David Sedaris and then another was from Malcolm Gladwell and just learning about their writing process, um, how to interview people, how to write dialogue, all of these things. So I'm really glad that I took the time to also just learn how to write while I was writing. Excellent. It sounds like you've really honed your craft well. It's fun. It was, it was, it was a fun escape from my actual job. (laughs) So it was nice to, to be able to tap into a craft that I enjoy that I, you know, don't, Mm -hmm typically get paid for or paid well for. It's just fun to just dive into it for fun and mm-hmm. um, spread the message. Do you have more books in, that you're planning? 
I, I am actually working on it's This is just like a fun book. It's like a picture book. It's nothing really detailed, but it's about, um, how SLPs can be relevant now just across the entire body from head to toe. So on my Instagram, I have an Instagram account. It's slp.advocate. I did a challenge one week where it was, um, you know, I, I think SLPs, like our work can be tied to any body part. Let's have a fun game. So I challenged people to comment a body part under that post. And then I would create a whole separate post about how our work can relate to that body part. So someone commented toe. And so <laughs> I did a whole post about, um, diabetic neuropathy and how, when people with diabetic neuropathy end up losing blood flow to the long, like the long nerves and they end up getting necrosis, uh, their toes fall off. One thing to consider is if it's that bad where their long nerves are getting impacted, then we might also want to consider how their voice is with a recurrent laryngeal nerve. And you might see more vocal issues and even swallowing issues with people who have diabetes because they have these long nerve, the neuropathy that's happening that can impact their vocal folds. So just kind of connecting that where it's like not directly related, but if you happen to see someone with diabetes and they're missing a toe, then you might want to actually start looking at things like their vocal fold function actually. So kind of let that cue you in a little bit that there could be some more long nerve damage that we need to consider in the world of voice or swallowing. So I'm working on a book where I'm kind of creating these fun little anatomy cartoons um, and then the, the, like the facts and the, the literature and just saying about how, um, our work can be related to the toe, to the kidneys, to the liver, to the stomach, to the lungs, to the esophagus. Um, so it's like an educational book, but with cartoons, uh, mm -hmm. anatomy cartoons on every other page. So it's just a fun book, a little fun educational book. <laughs> that sounds super fun. Yeah. After you did your content editor, copy editor formatting, how long did it take for you to get self-published and what was the cost? Oh, once, so once um, everything was set up, I mean, I was, I, once my manuscript was totally ready. So my uh, copy editor who did the formatting, she formatted it into like the KDP, which is Kindle Direct Publishing, which is the publishing uh, portion of Amazon. So she set it up into the KDP PDF formats um, and then the ebook formats. So once I had those documents in the correct format for Amazon, I was just, you just upload it. It, it takes a little longer because you also have to I mean, you have to choose which um, categories you want your book to go into, any keywords, um, what the description is going to be, the pricing, all of that. But I mean, in just one day, basically, once once I had all the formats, I just spent maybe an hour with my editor who walked me through the steps of uploading the PDF and the ebook on Amazon. And then we also did um, Ingram Sparks was another one. And then, oh, I'm forgetting, digital draft drafts to digital, I think is another, um, online place where you can upload books and that will actually make your books available for libraries. Um, so it's like for renting out books. So this has been such a great conversation, Lauren, today, and we are coming up on the end of our time. And you and I, I know, are going to be hosting um, another collaborative project on this podcast where we're going to come and talk about your business and where you're going and what you offer. So I would encourage all of your readers to go get your book. Um, and I'll have you tell that. But I just want to share one story quickly because 
like you, I so love what we do. And at the beginning of this episode, I mentioned I had my Maker's Mark Manhattan story. And years ago, I had worked with a gentleman who had had a stroke, um, New Year's Eve, daughter's wedding anniversary. And he, end of the night, goes to throw his pills back in his mouth and throws the pills in and takes the swig of water and the water just runs out. And he'd had a stroke, um, no ability even initiate a swallow, none whatsoever. Went to the hospital in the cities. They put a peg tube in and sent him home. Came to see me um, at my rural hospital, little rural hospital. I said, well, what are your goals? He said, by Valentine's Day, I want to take my sweetheart out and I want to have a Maker's Mark Manhattan. That's the only thing I want to do. He said, she and I have done this for like 54 years and she's my sweetheart. That's the one thing I want to do. And I said, all right, we will do our very best to get you to that goal. So we did these, you know, we did our dysphagia therapy. And one day I got a call from the front desk staff. Um, It was shortly into February and they called and they said, you know, your patient just called and he swallowed for the first time ever since his stroke. And we got the swallow back and he was able to go on Valentine's day with his sweetheart. It wasn't a steak dinner, but he was able to sip on his maker's Mark Manhattan. And so every Valentine's day, I have a maker's Mark Manhattan to celebrate the joys of the relationships that we have in our lives for the potential of always being able to improve our lives for the love that we have. And for just the gift of life. Yes. So oh my, my gosh. Story. <laughs> that story's amazing. And I, ah, oh, I love that. I'm so glad you shared that story. I think that again, it just highlights the importance of mm-hmm. our work. I mean, down to a relationship with someone else in a tradition on Valentine's day. It's so important. So that's, I love that. That's so wonderful. And your book is filled with the same stories. It's why we do what we do, but my speech is fine. (laughs) And look at all the other wonderful things we're going to work on. Exactly. Yes. Yes. From, from first to final breath is what I will tell people from the whole lifespan. So really important. Well, thanks for being on our show today. Uh, Would you share our, your contact information with the listeners, please? Absolutely. Um, So I know the easiest way is through Instagram, which is slp.advocate. Um, I try to respond to really every and any message that I, I get from there. And then you can also email me, especially if you have any questions about the book or writing a book. Uh, I have an email specifically for that book. It's called but my speech is fine at gmail.com. So that's another way that you can uh, send me kind of a more personal message if you don't have Instagram. Wonderful. And you and I are going to get together in just a few weeks and do this all over again with all the nuts and bolts on how to be um, an SLP author and your marketing program, your marketing marketing business you're opening. Yes. I'm very excited about this, this um, new type of marketing business for SLPs and healthcare providers, basically through storytelling. So that'll be really, really exciting once I get that launched. I can just imagine I don't know. I love storytelling. <laughs> Sitting around a campfire with just a nice warm drink in your hand and starting to tell the stories. And that's when those memories begin to go down deeper. Yes. Yeah. We do what we do. I'm excited for you. Thanks yeah. for coming on today. I'm excited. I'm excited for your book too. This is just so exciting. The collaborative work I think is just so wonderful. And I'm excited to see more SLPs 
kind of getting more creative with their roles, um, mm -hmm. whether it's through business marketing, writing books, and also just clinically too. So thank you for having me on here and just for, for allowing me to also um, speak more in my book and eventually my marketing in the next episode. Thanks, Lauren.